Well, hello and welcome back to the Edgewood 4G podcast. This is Kyle Parks, the discipleship pastor here at Edgewood. And I'm back here again with Jared Hall. And we're going to continue this conversation, Jared, um, of talking about what's going on in the Middle East, specifically with Israel and um, everything going on with the war and, and Gaza. And uh, man, just thanks so much for being here and uh, just sharing some of your background of, of, of your time over in that area, but then also just some history and just insight to what's happening with the, the war going on. Um, and so kind of what I want to talk about now, Jared, is, you know, with everything going on over there uh, right now, is there anything that you're seeing and your, your study and just knowledge of, you know, end times and, um, and, and revelation, obviously, um, and just prophecy, like anything that's happening over there right now that you're saying, hey, this is this pointing to um, Christ's return? Um, is this um, looking like things, perhaps uh, the future events that we're, we're seeing in, in Scripture, uh, specifically what's going on right now? What do you think? The short answer? <laughs> no. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and so what's true? Every day that we live, we take a step closer to the end of time. Obviously, we're always getting closer. We're always getting closer, <laughs> right? So that's the only direction that time moves, right? right, right. It's closer to the end. Um, I will say this is that what we see in the scriptures in terms of what God promises to be true is that uh, he's for those who are for his chosen people, Israel, and mm. he is against those who are against his chosen people, Israel. I think we still continue to see that yeah. play out. I think we see um, probably in the, probably the... Okay, so there's two things. One, not everybody agrees on eschatology. Right, of and, course. <laughs> and it's become eschatology, meaning the study of end times. Yes. It's become increasingly more common for people to kind of just throw their hands up and say, I'm a pan-millennialist. It'll all pan out in the end. <laughs> now, right. for me, I think the Bible spends too much time speaking about future events to simply say we're a pan-millennialist, mm. right? If we're supposed to be uh, people who rightly divide the word of truth, if we're supposed to be like the Bereans and, and handling the word of God well, mm. then if the Bible spends uh, a strong proportion of time towards end-time events, then we should be careful in our handling of the word and think about it critically. Now, if you don't agree with me, that's fine. But where I'm coming from is, is I think that the the event that's going to really kick off the end times is the rapture. Mm -hmm. And then following the rapture is going to be a seven-year period of time known as the tribulation. And then at the end of the tribulation, that's when Jesus will return fully and he will establish a thousand-year millennial kingdom. And then at the end of the thousand-year millennial kingdom, Satan will be unbound for an unknown amount of time. And then after that, God will cast him into the lake of fire and will merge heaven and earth and we'll have the new heavens and new earth and mm -hmm. the solar system and so forth as we know it will end. And that's actually when end times is the end of time mm. because we'll no longer have the sun because the Lord will light it up himself and so mm. forth. And so our idea of time will change permanently from that point. And as the Bible describes it, that's a permanent state. There's nothing that alters it. And it's a Edenic state, meaning it's like the Garden of Eden. So now I said all that. Yeah. Well, the question then is, is well, do we know when the rapture is going to happen? If that's the event that kicks it all off, and I don't think that we can. I think right. the rapture is the event that happens like a thief in the night, that there's no 
warning for it. Well, Jesus even said that, only my Father in heaven knows in the, the day and hour. Yes. <laughs> you know? Now, a lot of people will argue and refute that and say that, no, there's, but I think everything else is just a symptom of mm-hmm. what is going to be like in the tribulation period, right? So if there's fires, if there's earthquakes, if there's war, if there's famine, all of that is just something that points to what is going to happen on a much larger, much massive, much more destructive scale during the tribulation period. Mm-hmm. So... What happens, though, is is that people don't have a very clear ordering of these events. And so they start to see these symptoms and they think they're the same things as what is going as signs in the tribulation period. And for me, I go, right, but we're missing some key events. So we're missing the rapture. So say you're a mid-trib rapture guy or, you know, pre-wrath rapture person or even a post-trib rapture person. Well, you still don't start the tribulation until Israel has entered into an agreement with the Antichrist. That's the very first thing that's going to happen. Israel has no alliance with anybody that would represent somebody that would be unifying to eliminate all of Israel's enemies and be able to rebuild the Temple Mount, uh, rebuild the Temple on the Temple Mount. That's what has to happen. There's nobody, there's nobody on the world scene that is going to eliminate Islam and eliminate Israel's enemies so that Israel could build a temple. Mm-hmm. There's nobody on the scene like that. Period. It doesn't matter if you know, who you don't like, whoever you don't like. <laughs> right. They don't have the ability to pull that off right now. This doesn't matter if it's Z or Trudeau or Trump or Hillary or Biden <laughs> or anybody else, right. right? There's nobody that has that type of pull mm-hmm. that they could be like, you know what? Israel, you're fine now. We have an agreement. Go ahead and build that temple again. We will destroy the Dome of the Rock. Go ahead and bulldoze it. There's nobody that has that. Mm. Yeah. So that's why I would say yeah. we're not we're not there. Yeah. 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 Well, it's so interesting because like every generation has always thought that the Lord's return was imminent and oh, it would absolutely. come in their yeah. lifetime. Right. And right? I think that's good. I think that's yeah. good to think that. I think we should anticipate that the, the rapture is, is imminent because I do think that there is a gap of time. You know, so people think the rapture happens and the tribulation starts. That's not what the Bible describes. The Bible describes the tribulation is starting when that covenant is signed, mm. right? So everything that's going to happen in the tribulation is going to happen after that agreement happens between the Antichrist and Israel. That's the very first thing. There can be a gap. I think there could be a multi-year gap between the rapture and the tribulation. But we shouldn't look at things that are happening in the tribulation and go... Well, that's happening right now because mm. the first thing hasn't happened. Mm. And so if the Bible presents an orderly account of the order with which things happen, then we should understand that order and understand what's happening in light of that as well. Does that yeah. make sense? So yeah. like, so during COVID, people went, you're going to get the shot? <laughs> that's the mark of the beast. Mm. And the problem is, is that the mark of the beast happens halfway through the tribulation point. Mm. So I'm going... Do you think that we're halfway through the tribulation? What happened? Where's the agreement with the Antichrist, with Israel? Right. Where did everything kick off? Where did it start? Right. Yeah. It's like, and and they're like, well, they're going to be able to they're track you. They're going to put a little microchip in you. And I said, do you really think that, one, the mark of the beast is voluntary. Like, they know that they're taking the mark mm. of the beast. Uh, two, um, you're saying that. Because it's the ability to operate and have commerce and so forth if you don't have the... It's like, well, that's not really true. That's mm-hmm. not... And and two, if you're saying that somebody has to do something that the government wants you to do in order to play nicely, well, that has happened 
all the time, everywhere, and has for a long time, not just now with this bit of the shot. So I'm not saying pro or anti-shot. I'm just saying yeah. the thought that the shot was going to be getting tricked into the mark of the beast doesn't really make sense right. when you read the scriptures with what the mark of the beast is. Yeah. And so that's why I think having an orderly account of what the end times events are helps you not jump ahead when things are not uh, good in our world today. Because mm -hmm. I think as believers, we need to be active in our world today, uh, both in the standpoint of we need to be presenting the gospel, we need to be evangelistic, uh, light, as Jesus describes it in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, but also salt, mm -hmm. that we need to be about preserving the world so that we can continue to share the gospel. It's the reason why we have and enjoy what we have in sharing the gospel today is because of believers actively engaging in society and creating space in society for those things to happen. The reason why we have laws in America that allow us to be so cavalier in our declaration of the gospel is because of the engagement of believers. If we stop engaging and we stop being salt, then that hinders our ability to also be light. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that's good, man. So when you think about, you know, the things going on in the world, all the wars, um, it seems, I don't know, it seems like at times there's increased amounts of earthquakes and famines and all that kind of yeah, stuff. It yeah. seems like there's more of that happening, but those things have always happened throughout history. But is there any indication in any of those things that say, okay, yeah, we're not there yet, but we are much closer well, I think, you know, I think we're always closer. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's the case. The other thing I think people go like, well, it's the world's getting more evil mm. and yes and no. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, when you look at the reign of Genghis Khan and the terror that he <laughs> brought up, yeah, you know, and, and I mean, he, he eliminated like a large portion of the population of the world and a large portion of the population of the world today traces its ancestry through him. Mm. I mean, but you know, let's not study history, right? Let's, yeah. let's just talk about now. That's kind of the the mindset that I think happens too often with with people. Um, I do think the other thing is is that the world population continues to increase, right? And if there's more people and we're all sinful, what does that mean? Yeah, there's more <laughs> there's more sinners. So like, yeah, the world is numerically going to be worse as you increase the population of the world. I'm not for reducing the population. I'm just saying. Yeah. If you have a billion people who are sinful, there's a billion people that have the potential of evil. Mm -hmm. If you have 8 billion people, right, right, right. you have an exponentially greater amount of potential for evil yeah. to take place. So yeah. now in terms of the world and you know, famines and earthquakes and fires and things like that, I think there's a couple of things. I think one, uh, reporting on such events happens in real time now in a way that it never has before. Yeah, absolutely. So, yep. so we have accessibility to the world that we've not familiar with. This is this is unreal. right. Back in the day, you would hear about something maybe that happened three or four weeks before because you finally got a newspaper and the, and the news spread. And now you're literally seeing those things happen in real time. That's right. Within minutes, yeah. something's popping up on your phone telling you when it happened. Right. Mm -hmm. So that so that so that hits us in a way that it changes the way that we think about yeah. things. Yeah. So because we're aware of it more than we think that it increased more, right? Mm -hmm. So there's, I think, something that has to be uh, concerned about that. Uh, the other thing I think would be worth considering in this conversation is, is if we, if we are moving towards the end time, we don't have any idea how much is 
the amount before the end time takes mm-hmm. place, right? So we may think it's a lot, but it may not be anything at all. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I was living during World War II and you've right. got <laughs> the Nazis killing 12 million people, 6 million of which are Jewish, I would go, does it get worse than this? Right. I mean. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think you're right. Different times and different places definitely have have made people think that, uh, for sure. We dropped two nuclear bombs, yeah. right? <laughs> right? I mean, yeah, we're concerned about nuclear war today. Right. We were engaged in nuclear war before mm-hmm. with Germany killing 6 million Jews. I mean, how does that not feel like we're in it, yeah. right? Yeah, definitely. So so I think maybe our, our barometer for such things is very sensitive yeah. because of the amount of media that we take in. I think since the since Israel became a nation again, which is the beginning of the fulfillment of Ezekiel's prophecy of the dry bones coming mm-hmm. back to life again, mm-hmm. I think that's the fulfillment of that. And so I think since we began to see this this promise be fulfilled in the 20th century, that's caused us to be hyper alert to more things happening, sure. right? And so, but I think headline prophecy is very dangerous. And I think that uh, it's something that we need to be very good at exegeting the Bible and very good at exegeting the news and not allowing the news to exegete, interpret the Bible for us, right? Right. Oh, yeah. That's good. Very good. Yeah, because I think we get caught up in stuff like that. and then, Oh, this must mean that since this happened, you right, know, and, right. and being very careful about that. But let the Bible interpret it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I was thinking we we're kind of referring to Matthew 24 and Jesus talking about uh, different things that will happen before the end comes. And but then there's a, a verse, Matthew 24, 14, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached uh, to all nations, and then the end will come. Yes. And so I think of that, and I've heard you know many people share that. I've preached on that as well. And it seems as though you know there's there are many unreached people groups around the world. Yeah, uh, that are right. they're still unreached. They haven't heard that gospel, and um, and that's one way I've always looked at it too. Since there are so many unreached people groups still around the world, and when it says nations, that's what we believe that means from that word ethne. Right. Um, it, it, it means uh, people groups, and there's. 17,000 people groups in the world and still <laughs> roughly 7,000 that are still unreached. And so what that tells me that, you know, there's still many people groups that need to hear the gospel. That doesn't mean they're all going to believe, but some are going to, they're going to believe in some, or some are going to hear and they're going to believe. And then that's confirmed with uh, John's uh, vision and, and revelation. Uh, we see that Revelation 7, 9, there will be representatives from every tribe, tongue, and nation standing before the throne for the Lamb, uh, praising God. Um, and so I, I think that's a big part of it too, that the gospel hasn't penetrated toward every nation in that sense, people group, uh, because that's something that needs to take place before the end uh, comes. So, yeah, I don't know if you've um, had uh, much uh, dealings with that and just kind of your conversations with, with people. and and uh, But that's one of the things that, I, that I've heard that I've, I, I just I hold on to because... It seems as though our work as believers is not yet done. Right. Not only are we sharing yes. the gospel here, but to the ends of the earth. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point because it's really about uh, when we look at Paul's theology on Israel in Romans 9 through 11, and he describes a partial hardening mm-hmm. has come upon Israel, meaning that some Jewish people do come to faith, but there is this partial hardening, and that this is to last until the full number of Gentiles comes 
in. Mm. And that oftentimes our gauge for how close we are to the end is by how many bad things happen, not by the full number of Gentiles coming in, yeah. right? That there's, there's no way to reroute God's plan except for the full number of Gentiles coming in. So our responsibility is salt and light. Yeah. And that when you talk about every tribe, nation, and tongue, this is why multiple Bible translation ministries and mission organizations are starting to pool their resources. That's good. <laughs> so that way they can start uh, to get the gospel there. I think, you know, we're, we're living through the largest wealth transfer in world history. So in the next generation, there'll be about... Uh, $40 trillion that will transfer from one generation to the next, which $40 trillion is a hard number to get around. You're right. <laughs> um, and then I believe the number I had heard, and, and this is a uh, few years uh, outdated, uh, but we only need, I think, $4 trillion to complete all of the work that it would take to have the Bible translated into every language that exists, wow. right? So, So we could really you know, we could really finance the the mission mm-hmm. to get the gospel into every tongue within the next lifetime if people's resources were dedicated towards uh, mission work yeah. in that area. Yeah. So, so for me, I go, well, you can sit and, and rub your hands together and, 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 and stockpile food because uh, the world's going to end, or you could go and be engaged in society and, and share the gospel. Yeah, I think there's different responses that people have. Right and uh, and and I see in Scripture that we are called <laughs> to to go out and to be salt and light and to share the good news of the gospel uh, to those around us and and for those that are just sitting and waiting for something to happen that may not happen, <laughs> you know. Right, and, so, and, and even if it does, you know, would you rather be out there yeah. and, and you know? Okay, so when the when the Jesus uses the parable, right, mm-hmm. and and the owner returns, and what does he find? That you know, one person took what they were entrusted with, and they doubled it. One person took yeah. what was entrusted with, they doubled it. The last one buried it. Mm-hmm. Do you do you want to be actively engaged when the Lord returns, or when the rapture happens, or do you want to be busy burying? Yeah. You know, I mean, for me. Last time we talked, we were talking about all the different things that I do. It's I think time's short. Mm, yeah, I think time time goes by very fast. I think I've been given gifts for a purpose. So, how do I use these gifts with the time that I have? Whether the Lord returns or I die and go to heaven, either way, I want to be busy using what He's given me because He gave it to me for a reason. Right, and you, you want know? to be found faithful. Yeah, with the with the short amount of time that God's given us. Yeah, right. it's really right. good. Hey, let's circle back to, um, and we can kind of, you know, wrap up with this kind of, um, you know, the question when it comes uh, to Israel, uh, once again, I think you referred back, um, you referred to this in the, the last episode, just talking about how um, the, the state of Israel is quite secular today. Um, so how does that play into um, the Bible prophecy of of things being fulfilled if they are not um, following God the way they uh, are supposed to. Now, obviously, like you said, we see that in, um, throughout Scripture, <laughs> that there right, always right. Been, there's yeah. always been an issue, <laughs> issues with Israel doing that. But is there anything that, that, that you see there with the secular state of Israel and how it is today and the things happening, um, uh, especially with the war, because there's just more... 
uh, news uh, taking place over there right now. But is there anything that kind of, um, yeah. Just, I, uh, I think it's a great question. It's really fascinating. Yeah. Because most people think um, that with Israel wanting to return, with Jewish people wanting to return to Israel and, and, mm-hmm. and form a state, that it must have been a religious movement. Mm. But it was really a secular movement. The Zionist movement was really founded in uh, in the 1800s by people who had been raised in Orthodox homes, who had been educated in secular universities, and who had this kind of mixed worldview of their parents' religion um, that pacified them and allowed persecution to happen with the education of university of saying, we can create a world, uh, a utopia, um, that that would bring about healing and restoration of people on a level that we can scarcely imagine. And so that's really the Zionist vision is to create a utopia. Um, now, Zionism based more on like race? Is uh, that... Yeah, so Zionism is based upon the fact that it, like, Jewish people needed a homeland, that yeah. they needed a place where they could be uh, established as a nation for safety purposes mm-hmm. because of the pogroms. And we, so, so give you an example, right? Yeah. So, um, it was not uncommon and, and there's, there's hundreds of examples of this happening, not a few, not tens, but hundreds of examples of this happening with what was called pogroms or libels where in different towns and villages, uh, Jewish people would be, uh, accused of, um, murdering people they would be accused of um, being uh, cult worshipers and they would be killed with no process right Mm -hmm. and it didn't matter if it was in a very religious country Uh, you know a lot of jews thought when france became a secular country during the enlightenment that that would be the place and they were drug out and killed Mm -hmm. there and that was Theodore Herschel, who is the founding father of the Zionist movement, um, who held the first uh, Zionist council in, in Basel, um, he he was he was well educated, and he thought surely the Enlightenment is going to bring mm. this place for Jewish people to participate in society that would no longer be persecuted, and it didn't happen. And that's when he came to the realization that he was going. That, that Jewish people needed a country. And so he actually wrote a book describing this utopian existence of Jewish people having a nation called Alt-Neuland, the old new land. Mm. And, um, and I could, I could go further in that, mm-hmm. but what we, what we see then is, is that when Israel was actually being birthed as a nation, the uh, prime minister at the time, uh, Ben Gurion, needed a majority in order to form the government because they had a parliamentary system in the democracy. And so he was relying upon the ultra-Orthodox, meaning a very religious Jewish people who follow strict rabbinic mm-hmm. traditions in order to participate and form that government. And his thought was, being a secularist, is that once Israel gets going, that the ultra-Orthodox are going to disappear. So I can give them anything they want now because this is not even going to be a problem in 50 years. Well, he was wrong. <laughs> and so the population rate of the ultra-Orthodox in Israel is so far ahead what the rest of Israel is. And you see the same birth rate with secular Israelis as you see in America where they're not having as many children. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're having children much later or not at all where the ultra-Orthodox are kind of like the Amish here where they are having lots of children. And so the ratio of the ultra-Orthodox has, has increased dramatically. Okay. 
okay. which means that they have um, a lot of uh, sway and hold in the Israeli government today. So when you say Israel is a secular state, yes. Is a religious influence? Yes. Are there some Messianic believers there? Yes. Not a majority. So what does all of that mean? Well, I, th- I think all of it means is that Israel has a problem on their hands today yeah. as a functioning government, which I think is an interesting conversation to have as it relates to the scripture and end time events and future events. I don't think that uh, whether there's a bunch of ultra-Orthodox there, because that's not really a biblical faith, because there's no faith in Messiah there, mm-hmm. and it's more based on rabbinic interpretation of Scripture than Scripture itself, or if they're completely secular and they don't acknowledge any God whatsoever, none of that really matters, because Israel is not going to nationally repent and come to faith until the very end of the tribulation, and mm-hmm. that's when Messiah returns. That's what the Scripture teaches. So I think Israel will establish the covenant with um, the Antichrist, and they will live through the tribulation, and then it won't be until the the kings of the east mount up and battle against them after the Antichrist has turned on them and two-thirds of the Jewish population has been killed that at the very end of the tribulation will you see them as a nation, on a national level, repent and come to faith in Messiah Jesus, and that's when he'll return. Yeah, wow. No, that's good stuff to, to yeah, just think through. Um, do you know what, like, percentage uh, of, of Jews there today are are more the orthodox and and what percentage might be secular? Uh, I don't have percentages off the top of my head. I mean, I could, yeah. you could Google it. I'm sure that. Yeah. I just be, didn't know if it was a very low number or if it was. It was yeah. I mean, we're, we're, yeah. So uh, it's higher than it was. It's not, it's not half. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, um, and they're concentrated. Okay. So they're, they're primarily in Jerusalem. Yeah you're not going to see a lot of ultra-Orthodox in other areas. It's kind of funny. So I was down in a lot once, and a lot's the southern tip of, mm-hmm. of Israel on the Red Sea. It's like uh, a little bit like the Miami of Israel. So, um, and so I was, <laughs> I was there, and I'd just been in Jerusalem, and so uh, a waiter or something was asking me, so where have you been so far? And I said, oh, I was just, just in Jerusalem. He goes, oh, Jerusalem? Why in the world would you want to go to Jerusalem? And I was like, well, it's, God's city. I mean, God put his name on it. Like, it's kind of a big deal. And he's like, ah, it's so religious. I can't stand that place, right? So it's a very interesting. Yeah. They're like, why, you know, why would you not go to Tel Aviv? I said, I was in Tel Aviv. Like, you should have stayed in Tel Aviv, you know? So there's, uh, I think we're, we're always, people are usually surprised to find the perspectives and how vast and, and wide they are in the Jewish community, yeah. whether in Israel, outside of Israel. So, yeah. yeah and it's so interesting too to think through it almost sounds like a oxymoron like a secular jew or, or a jew that doesn't believe in god and that number is i mean i'm sure increasing around the world maybe not necessarily in the city but it's just so odd to think about that way these are god's people god's chosen people and now in the past when they rejected him they usually went and worshiped other gods right and right and right. idols and all that but now it's just like no we don't even believe in god <laughs> well and i would say they're so idol worshipers you know sure like I think, well yeah you know, yeah you know if, if we're we're created to be worshiping beings like we all find something to yeah. worship whether and i brian bill is has has said this is that idols are more in self than on yeah. the shelf right yeah. so but th- still proud of their heritage i would imagine sometimes yeah yeah, yeah sometimes i mean a lot of it just comes from their background. You know, there's a lot of Jewish people today who, just like in America, we're not very educated on our history. There's mm-hmm. Jewish people there that aren't very educated on their history. Right, yeah. And so 
there's Jewish people there who, who think everything that Israel has done is bad, and, and there's Jewish people who think everything that Israel has done in their history is right. I mean... Like you it, said, it sounds like our country. <laughs> it's, yeah. Israel is very polarized right now, just like we yeah. are. So... Yeah. And... Um, and that's actually part of the reason why I think the attack uh, of Hamas was so successful is yeah. because they're in the middle of this judicial reform and there's been large scale protests happening in Israel. And I think they were so focused on that issue that that was part of what caught them sleeping. Yeah, because so many people have talked about that, how advanced the military is there and, and all that and surveillance and how did this happen? You know, yes, I think that's yeah, what a lot of yep. people have said. How yeah. did this even take place? Yeah. And so, I mean, one thing seems to be that Iran coached Hamas into being pretty laid back for two years. So that way Israel thought they were kind of mm. lulling. Okay. They kind of lulled Israel into a false sense of safety. I think part of it was the fact that it was at the end of Sukkot or the Feast of Tabernacles. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was part of it. Part of it was the judicial reform and the and the chasm and the polarization that's happened there in their own society. And then there's other people accusing of an inside job and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I think we're, we're at least a couple of years, if not five to 10 years or more out from knowing if there's any type of real failure in terms of the intelligence community but yeah so perhaps uh, lots of distractions going on exactly yeah and intelligence is much more complicated than people make it out to be and it's much harder to track things that happen online Uh, i mean your facebook account gets hacked like and you can't stop that it's a terrorist organization is hard to stop even if it's happening in the dark web so it's a lot to monitor so what's your plan on uh, returning uh, over over there I, I, still, wait and see. I, I still got two trips scheduled for okay. may right. and so lord willing they'll happen i got some friends over there right now that just took a, a group of christians over there to go encourage okay uh people there and so uh they they left during the ceasefire and they'll come back uh this week and well. so again i think most i mean as long as nothing happens with lebanon in the north that's with Hezbollah. That's the big question. If yeah. that happens, then I think there's probably no tour. Yeah. I think what happens with Gaza at this point will be simmered down enough that, that tours will be able to resume. That's my that's my hunch. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a crystal ball or anything. Okay. I, I would not be on your podcast if I did. <laughs> so, uh, you know, no, I am not a prophet, nor the son of a prophet. So. Oh, that's fine, man. That's all good. <laughs> hey, Jerry, would you do us a favor and close us out in prayer, just praying for yeah, the yeah. peace of Israel and just uh, God's will be done over there? Yeah, absolutely. Father God, we come to you and we thank you so much that you are sovereign, that you are providential, that, Lord, the world is in your hand. And as much as it seems crazy and chaotic and unsafe, that, Lord, the safest place to be is in your will. And whether good or bad befalls us, Lord, that ultimately we trust you to um, preach, uh, to, to have your gospel proclaimed throughout all the earth. Uh, Lord, we trust your chosen people Israel in your hand. And, Lord, we ask that you would bring uh, safety and security to Israelis and to Palestinians and that uh, evil entities like Hamas, Lord, would be uh, not only diminished but eliminated from being able to to spread terror and lord we pray that as believers in jesus that we would be people who are not um, easily lulled into a false sense of security that we would not be people who believe false things but lord that we'd be able to stand on your word and that we'd be able to detect and discern uh, truth from lies and that lord we'd be a source of light and uh, help in this world today we pray this all in jesus name Amen. Amen. Well, thanks, Jared. Appreciate you being on here, man. And 
that's all we have for you uh, today. And so uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, be sure to tell your friends. Uh, share this uh, with other people. I think uh, there's a lot of good insight there. Jared, and I'm, I'm sure hopefully that answered a lot of people's questions about what's happening over there and kind of hopefully grounding them and to, to not get too up in arms about what's happening, but just trusting God and that there's um, uh, that, that he's still in control. He's sovereign. And, um, and uh, yeah, just uh, can keep spreading the good news of the gospel. Keep Amen. doing what we're called to do. But uh, yeah, thanks again for tuning in, and we will see you next time. <laughs>